Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We are going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, continuing our walk through the book of Acts. And if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your devices, and you may have heard it on the announcement video just a minute ago, we do have study journals available now of the book of Acts out front. And if you'd like to give $5 to help cover the cost of those, that would be great. If for some reason that's an issue, we'd still like for you to have uh, one of those study journals and you can pick one up after the service. Just There's a page of Acts and then a page for notes, a page of Acts, a page for notes, so that you can just keep notes as we're texting through the book of Acts together. We had ordered them a few weeks ago, but like everything else in the whole world right now, they were on back order and it took longer than it was supposed to, and so we didn't have them for week one last week. But they are here this week, and so we'd love for you to grab one of those if you want to. As we get ready to jump in, we're going to pray in just a minute and ask God to teach us during this time and to do what only he can do. And then I'm going to read Acts chapter 2 out loud and ask you to be listening to what the Spirit would say this morning, especially along the lines of what is this teaching us about God today? How is God revealing himself and showing us who he is and teaching us from his word so that we'll know him more? But before we jump into Acts 2, there was just two verses from last week uh, from chapter 1 that I wanted to make sure that we connect. There's a couple things we didn't that I didn't say last week and that I want to make sure I say as we're getting into chapter 2 and just I want to make sure we see the connections between these two verses and chapter 2 today. And so uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, kind of one of the main verses of the whole book. This is Jesus talking and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the thing that I wanted to point out just as we're getting started this morning is that Jesus is telling his disciples, the thing that I'm calling you to do, the the thing that you're about to do and who you're going to be as the church, you can only do it when you receive power from the Holy Spirit. You are dependent on the Spirit for what I'm calling you to do. And the reason I want to point that out just right now before we pray is because this is why we pray every week. Like It isn't just a a spiritual routine or a ritual for us or just something, yeah, we're supposed to pray, so we pray. But we really believe what Jesus is saying right here, that if there's going to be a spiritual work that takes place, we are dependent on the Spirit to do it, that He provides spiritual power, that He is the source of all good spiritual things, and we are dependent on Him, and we need Him. And so we believe this, and we pray that he will do this week in and week out, that the Spirit will come and bring the spiritual power that he has and give us what we need for us to be his church and to be who he's called us to be. And the other thing that stands out right here is that if this is the type of power that we need, spiritual power, to be Jesus' people, then obviously that has to mean he intends for us to do a spiritual work. And that's why week in and week out, I keep hammering for us, hey, human resources, human effort, human abilities, first of all, that's not enough. It's not going to accomplish what Jesus calls us to do. But even more than that, human effort, human resources, human abilities, that's not what qualifies you or disqualifies you to be Jesus' people and to be Jesus' church and to be used by Jesus. That has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus will accomplish what he intends to accomplish. Not your abilities, not your efforts, not your resources, not what you're capable of, not what you bring to the table, what the Spirit brings to the table, the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit of God coming on his people and filling them with power to be his church and be Jesus' witnesses and make him known. And so we're asking for that. Not asking for what you have or what I have, but for what Jesus has and what Jesus sends and what Jesus gives and what Jesus does for his church and in his church and through his church. So that's verse 8. And then verse 16, we see just the theme of the the Spirit continuing here. This time this is Peter, and he's talking to the 120 believers. They're gathered. They're praying together. They're waiting for Jesus to send the Spirit now. He hasn't sent it yet. And he says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. And I just wanted you to see here the connection between the Holy Spirit and the Scripture, or the Bible. 
the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I know I talk about that connection a lot, but it's so clear in this verse that when David was writing in the Psalms, and then Peter goes on and quotes a couple of Psalms here just a few verses later, but when David was writing in the Psalms, in Peter's mind, what Peter's teaching us here is that David was not primarily the one that was speaking these things in the Bible, but it was the Spirit of God himself. That the Holy Spirit was the one speaking the Bible through David inspiring David to write the things that he wrote so that the Bible, the Word of God, comes from the Spirit of God. And so we see this major connection between the Spirit and the Word, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But then the other thing I wanted you to think about right here is when, when Peter says, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. That when the Holy Spirit said something in the Bible, it had to happen. That his words are reality. His words are true. When he speaks, it does happen. When he says something, it is real. And if that's who the Spirit of God is, then make sure we make this connection just as we get started today. And then in Acts 2, we can talk about it a lot more. That's the Spirit that Jesus promised to give to his church. The one who is so powerful and so wise, and so in control that when he says something, it becomes the word of God, and it happens. And that's who Jesus offers you and me. Like, this is why we would show up at Friendship Community Church, and we would say, I believe that God can do great and mighty th things through a group of people like us. <laughs> because he gives this, this spirit creates the future in a real sense. Like, he speaks, and what he says, it then has to happen. Like, do you know, when Jesus says power is going to come upon you by the Holy Spirit, do you realize what kind of power that is? When it's the Spirit who says something, and what he says has to happen, and Jesus says, that's what I'm giving you. That's my gift to you as my church, as my people. This is what you will have to accomplish the things that I call you to accomplish. I'm not asking you to do it on your own, and I'm not asking you even to do it with just a really good gift. I'm asking you to do it with the Spirit who speaks things into existence. Like, this is why we, we look in the book of Acts and we say, it's crazy. Like, it's impossible that this, this group of 120 people hiding in a room in, in the middle of Jerusalem, that the, the church, a worldwide movement of God, would be born from them. It is crazy. It is impossible until you realize what was given to them, who Jesus gave them, who the Spirit of God really is, what he does. And so again, that's why we're going to pray. Because on one hand, We've got what you and I could offer and what we could do. And I don't have to speak for you. I'll just speak for me. It's not much. It's nothing like this. I don't have anything to offer you. And on the other hand, we have what the Spirit of God does. The power of the Holy Spirit himself coming on his people and building the church of Jesus and empowering his people to accomplish everything that Jesus ever intended because when he says it, it has to happen. And so I say we go to him, and we trust him, and we ask him, and we get over ourselves, and we die to ourselves, and we stop bringing ourselves to the table, and we just say, we need you, Father, to pour out your spirit and do your work and build your church. Give us the power of your spirit for your purposes. You teach us right now. You speak to us right now. And so will you pray that with me right now as we get ready to read Acts 2? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have promised to give your own spirit with your power to your church. We believe you. We believe what you say. We believe what you promise. And we ask that right now during this time that you will teach us from your word, by your spirit, as only you can, that you would pour out spiritual power for spiritual purposes and you would do spiritual work in our hearts that you would open our eyes spiritually to see you, to know who you are, that you would soften our hearts spiritually to love you, to trust you, to be changed by you, to be made into your people and into your church and more like your son Jesus. Father, we need you to do that during this time. We cannot do it. We confess our inadequacy and our inability 
And we confess our dependence on you, and we trust you to do the things that you have promised in Jesus. And so we ask you to do it right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. Let me scroll on down here to get to the beginning of chapter 2. Be listening for what does this teach us about God? And then as we hear these truths about who God is, also secondarily, what's God teach us about us and what's he saying to our hearts today? So Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, I know that was a longer chapter. Thanks for sticking with me. But what jumps out at you? Truths about who God is, how he works, his nature, his character, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, what's God showing you this morning? God wants to save us. You want to give us a little explanation on, I mean, I totally agree, but on <laughs> what made you say that? So where we ended here. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This ongoing, and one of the things that stands out here to me, you know, for the rest of the way through Acts, anytime you see the Lord that's a reference to Jesus, you know, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And last week I made a point of saying, hey, when Luke started writing the book of Acts, the very first verse, he said, in my first book, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach, which implies that this book is going to be what Jesus continues to do and teach. And I want you to already see it again right here, that he doesn't say, you know, Peter and John and the apostles went out and spoke the Gospel and they added to the church, or they built the church, or they made the church grow. This is Jesus doing it through his people, that he has come by his spirit to now live inside of his people, and he is building his church so that Luke can say, the Lord, Jesus, he added to his church every single day that, that these 3,000 on this, first, this you know, the eruption of the church, the birth of the church in Acts 2 at Pentecost, it wasn't just this one moment, but then every single day he kept adding more people, and it's Jesus doing that work, that again, this, the acts that we're reading about are the acts of Jesus through his church, the acts of Jesus through his people. So yeah, God wants to save people. God's at work saving people through his church, through the gospel. What else? God gave us a path, and I'm going to add something here, a person through which to be saved. Like, he makes it really clear throughout this whole sermon. Let's go back. I think it was 21, maybe. Yeah. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, this is Jesus. Right? calling out to Jesus, and then he explains that later down here is repent. You know, what shall we do? Repent. You're going to follow Jesus in baptism. In the name of Jesus. Again, here's the person. that Salvation is found in Jesus. No other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. For the forgiveness of your sins, repentance, forgiveness, following Jesus in baptism, this declaration, I believe, you know, that we've talked about, we've gotten to celebrate, I think, 10 baptisms in the past month, and we've talked about with each of them this picture of that baptism is us physically showing it was the death 
burial of, of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus that saves us. That we're now given a physical picture of what we believe is saving us. And we're saying that it's Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection. Jesus alone, and I'm trusting him, and I'm so united with him that his death has become my death. That the death I deserve to die for my sins, he died for me. And so when I'm made one with him, when I'm united to him in faith, his death becomes my death. And in that sense, I've died the way I was supposed to die for my sins. Because I died with Jesus in his death. And now that Jesus has been resurrected and I'm united with Jesus, his resurrection becomes my new life. That I have new life now in Jesus because of Jesus, because of the resurrection life of Jesus. And so that God wants us to be saved and God has made the way for us to be saved through Jesus. In the name of Jesus, for all who will call on him, for anyone who will repent. And, and repent would be to not minimize your sin, to not pretend that it's less than it is, to not ignore it, to not sweep it under the rug, to not pretend that it's not okay, to not pretend that you're good enough, but to admit how desperate you are, to admit that Jesus is your only hope, to admit that you will never be good enough on your own, to admit how much you need him to save you. And you turn to him and you say, I'm sorry for what I've done, and I need you. And you trust him and you call out to him. And in him we find the forgiveness, the cleansing, the washing away, the removing of all of our sins so that we can be made right with God. And this, notice that when the Holy Spirit came to build the church, this is how the church was built. On this message, on this declaration of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus offers to do for anyone who will trust him, for anyone who will come to him. Peter says, it's for you and your children and for everyone who's far off. As far away from God as they can be, this is for them. This is for you. This is how God builds his church. What else stands out to you? Okay. God uses nature. <laughs> to get our attention. And I'm assuming right here in this chapter you're talking about the signs and wonders that would be seen. Um, and even you know when Jesus was crucified, we the 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 sky, the sun doesn't shine for 3 hours. There's earthquakes and rocks split, tombs bust open. Um, that God, it's just always good to remember that even though this world is fallen and it is broken and it's marred by sin and it's twisted and it's polluted and it's not, like when God originally created in this perfect state, like what creation is now is not what he created. Right? The sin has polluted all of it and there's all sorts of things that have gone wrong and lots of the questions that sometimes we ask that, this may sound insensitive, and I don't mean for it to. I'm not minimizing anybody's suffering right here, okay? But a lot of the times the questions we ask, where we ask these why questions, are like, why could something so bad like that happen? The answer is always Genesis 3, the fall. Sin came in, and this is messed up now. And things happen that are terrible and awful because it's not what God created. It's not what God intended in the sense of what he made when he originally made it. And so... There's all sorts of ways that we look out there and we see what it's not supposed to be now. And we look at us and we see what it's not supposed to be now. And we see the effects of sin everywhere. But at the same time, don't ever forget, this is still God's world. Right? He made it. He thought it up. He spoke it into existence. And he's still God over it and he's still in control. And he does use his world and he does use nature to speak to us. That both, you know, Psalm 18 and, and Romans 1 both tell us that creation is constantly speaking out and telling us who God is, that if we had ears to hear, that we would all just be able to look at creation and know some truths about the Creator, but that sin deafens our ears and blinds our eyes to the point that we don't see the truth about God through creation, that we ignore it, we turn away from it, we worship creation instead of the Creator, and so God comes and He does something even louder. And he comes in Jesus and in the word, the word of being Jesus and then the words of God in the Bible, and he speaks more clearly. He's like, these are the things you should know about me. And that's why we come even on a morning like this and why I encourage you every day to spend time saying, God, what is it that you're telling me about yourself? Reveal yourself to me. Help me to interpret your world the right way in light of who you are, to not ignore you, to not be blind to you, because you are speaking. 
You are getting our attention. You are calling out to us. Give us ears to hear that. Give us eyes to see you. What else? God keeps his word. Let's not ignore. If you need to look away while I scroll, always feel free to do that. (laughs) This right here. Chapter 1, Jesus makes a massive promise to the church. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring power for you to be my witnesses. Chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. And what are they able to do when the Spirit lands on them? Be his witnesses in a way that was humanly impossible. Right, you've got, if you count in these next verses, you've got people from at least 15 different regions, Jews from 15 different regions of the world, all speaking different languages. And when the, when the apostles start to speak here, the Holy Spirit works a type of miracle where you know, if you were sitting out here and, and if this section over here spoke Spanish and this section spoke French and this section spoke Italian and this section spoke German and I'm up here speaking in English, that the Holy Spirit worked a miracle where when I'm speaking English, you're hearing Spanish and you're hearing French and you're hearing Italian and you're hearing German in this moment. That, that Jesus had promised, I will give you spiritual power through the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And then he does it, I'm just going to guess, even more than they ever dreamed he would. Like he doesn't just keep his promise the way they thought he would keep his promise. He keeps his promise and then he, he like doubles it. But you'll be my witnesses in ways you can't even be my witnesses. And you'll be my witnesses in ways that are impossible for you, but I will make it possible through my spirit. And I do think that with this being the birth of the church, that God's doing some things in a really big and dramatic way to establish a precedent for us, like to, to get our attention in a way he says, this is what it's going to be like. Because, you know, obviously he doesn't do this every single day. Like you and I, we send missionaries all over the world now and they have to go learn languages. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to point this out while we're sitting here. We're not done with truths about God. One of the most, uh, I would say intimidating, but just kind of anxiety-producing aspects of teaching through Acts is trying to deal with this because I, I just feel like I'm, I feel very prone myself to make errors in what I tell you because of this. When we read through the book of Acts, we have to ask this question sometimes. Is what we're reading descriptive, In other words, describing what happened. You know, you read, think about other stories in the Bible, like in the Old Testament. When you read about Saul, for example, trying to pin David to the wall with a spear, we know that's describing for us what happened. But what what that example is not, is it's not prescriptive, telling us, what we should do. Like you don't read that story where Saul tries to pin David to the wall and you don't say, oh, well, that's in the Bible, so the next time I get mad at somebody, I should try to pin them to the wall with a spear. Right? You don't think that story's prescriptive for you. God's not prescribing what you should do. He's just describing for you what happened in that moment. Do you get what I'm saying there? Now, what's really difficult with the book of Acts is sometimes it's hard to know. Is this just descriptive of what happened in these initial moments when the church was first born? And, and given the fact that the church is never going to be born again for the very first time, maybe some of these things aren't going to happen again. Right? They, it was unique to this first moment that the church is born, and it's not going to be repeated. But then there's other pieces of it that we feel like, no, that's prescriptive. Like Jesus isn't just telling these first 120 people, you go be my witnesses. Like Clearly, that's his word to his church for all time. Like it's describing what he said to them, but it's also prescribing what we should be doing as his church for as long as we're on earth. And trying to sort through that can be hard sometimes. And so I just want you to know, I may get that wrong. And I hope that you'll keep praying and that you'll keep studying the Bible and you'll keep asking the Spirit to teach you. And if there's stuff that you feel like I get wrong, you know, let's talk through that. Shoot me an email. Um, and, and we'll circle back around to it a week later. But right here at the beginning, when God keeps his word, and I'll break this off so we can go back to our truths, when he keeps his word and he fills them with his spirit, what he does is he, enable, he gives them what they need in that moment 
to be his witnesses, and, and for the church to explode in a really supernatural, humanly impossible way, in a way that they would say, only God could have made that happen. Like, this, this was not because of the preaching of Peter and John and James, right? The crowd wouldn't even known what they were saying. And so nobody's going to be confused, and nobody's going to say, well, Peter built the church. Peter didn't build the church. The people couldn't even understand Peter. <laughs> Jesus built the church by sending his Holy Spirit. And I think he is laying down a principle for us right here where he is, what he's saying to us is that the spiritual work that has to be done, you can't do it. And you are dependent on the Spirit to do it. He must show up. That, that all the things that could happen physically, right, that I could speak physically and you could hear it physically and you could understand the words, like physically in your brain, intellectually, you could understand them. But there's something that the Spirit must do. And so he does it in a really dr drastic and dramatic way, almost like an illustration for us. So always keep this in mind. Remember this is how the church was born. Remember this is how the church is built. And I think one of the ways to see it is that we know that the Spirit is interpreting so that they can all hear in their own language, but then when some of them are amazed right? And they know what's going on. How is it that we hear? But then some of them choose to mock. Oh, they're just drunk. This, this weird thing that's going on, they're drunk. And what you see is that physically, all of them hearing this thing doesn't affect all of their hearts the same way spiritually. Some of them say, what shall we do? And they're convicted. And they, they admit, yes, we're, we're part of the crowd that was guilty of crucifying Jesus. What do we do now? And Peter says, repent. And some of them mock and say, you are just drunk. And they dismiss them. There's something more than, even though the Holy Spirit works this miracle of physical hearing this first time when the church is born, there's something more than physical hearing that has to take place in their hearts for them to respond spiritually to what they heard physically. And that's what we're praying for. That, that's why, to whatever extent we believe in our dependence on the Spirit, and to whatever extent that, that you and I really want to see the work of God in this church and in our lives, we'll pray to that extent. Because there's something we can't do, and He can and he promises to give his spirit to accomplish his purposes. And if you want to reverse that, I would say it this way. To whatever extent you pray. If you want to examine our hearts right now, you want God to rip open your chest and expose your heart to you right now. To whatever extent you pray, that's how much you really want the work of God in this church and in your life. We can all sit and say that we want it, and we can show up and we can do a lot of things and and there's all sorts of stuff we can do, but I would just say, if we believe Jesus, if you, want to know, if you want to know the real measure of how much do I really desire this, how much do I long for Jesus to move and work in this way and build his church and, and unleash supernatural spiritual power and change hearts and change lives and do things that are humanly impossible, how much do you really want it? It's not by what you say and it's not by how often you're here. How much do you pray? Do you pray for the Spirit to come in this way? Do you pray for God to move and work in this way? Do you pray in a way that acknowledges our inadequacy and our dependence, that acknowledges his power and his sufficiency and our need for him? Will you pray this way for God to move and work in this way? But God does keep his word. He makes promises that he'll build his church, that he'll send his spirit, and he does in even greater ways than they would have expected. What else? What other truths about God? God wants all people, groups, nations. That's right. Yeah, look at this. Like why, why would we support missionaries? Why would we send missionaries all over the world? Why do, we, why do we want a movement that's bigger than just this building and just us in this room? Because this is where Jesus started. Holy Spirit power for you to be my witnesses. Yeah, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, not ignoring Israel, but to the end of the earth. 
reaching everyone, like all who are far off, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, every tribe, tongue, language, and people in the world. This, this right here is the heart of missions. This is why we would send and we would go and why we would spend time learning languages and, and crossing cultural barriers and reaching people who've never heard the name of Jesus in their own language because this is where Jesus starts with the church. Like this, before the church is even born, Jesus is saying your mission will be a worldwide mission to engage the whole world, all peoples, with the gospel. Be my witnesses everywhere. And then again, we get this picture right off the bat where you've got these 120 people who've probably never left Israel, and they just say, how in the world are we going to reach the whole world? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, let's jumpstart it this way. I'll bring the whole world to you on day one. Like, isn't that just brilliant of God? I want you to reach all the nations with the gospel. Well, I'll gather like 15 different regions of the world right here. I mean, you heard them all earlier. I really don't want to try to pronounce them all again because I'm sure I got them wrong the first time, but here we go. I mean, think about this. Like, listen, there's like, there's like pile. You know that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to pile this up for you where you'd be like, whoa. Like, how many people were in Jerusalem? Because Pentecost is one of the three major feasts every year. All the Jews would gather. From, but, you know, a lot of them don't live in Jerusalem. They don't speak this language, obviously. But God's brought them in. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We all, so God's brought all these different language-speaking people groups into Jerusalem in this moment, and now he's enabling the apostles to speak in their own native language, but everyone's hearing in their own language. So right here it is, day one, Jesus already saying, hey, I gave you a mission. I just hear this. Jesus is saying, I gave you a mission to do, and now I'm doing it for you. <laughs> Like I, I called you to do something that I know you can't do. But I will do it for you if you will trust me. Right? Depend on my spirit, speak my word, and watch what I do. Like already, I mean, day one, keeping his promise, even more than keeping his promise, like keeping his call. Like he calls his church to reach the ends of the earth. And he says, that I'll do it for you, in you, through you. I'll give you what you need to be my church and do what I call you to do. I mean, this is it's so good right there. What else stands out to you? Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration to the people who killed him. And that's really good news for me. This was one of the things that stood out to me. First of all, verse 23, when Peter's preaching right here. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And real quickly here, Notice what we, what we were just talking about earlier with nature, that it's twisted and it's distorted, but it's still by sin, but it's still serving God's purposes. That right here, the, the most horrific sin that has ever taken place in the history of the world, that a, a crowd of people turned on an innocent, sinless man, the perfect son of God, who had spent his entire life loving people, healing people, teaching people the truth about God, had never done anything wrong, and this crowd in, in, in rage and fury and injustice and with the religious leaders in, in envy and jealousy and spite and, and self-righteousness that they conspire and they arrest and they beat and they brutalize and they kill the Son of God. This is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And also at the very same time, 
this was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That he's still at work. He's still in control. He's still bringing about his purposes. He's even using the darkest moment and the worst sin that's ever been committed. He's using that for the greatest good that he'll ever accomplish. They're both simultaneously true. Nothing's thwarting God's purposes. Nothing's undermining his plans. Nothing's stopping his heart of rescue and redemption and restoration and forgiveness and salvation. Nothing can undermine that. And at the very same time, Peter's looking at him and he's saying, and you're guilty for what you did. Even though God uses it in this great, great way, it's as awful as you would ever imagine. And so the people that crucified Jesus, then the message to them, I mean, think about it. The, the worst thing you could ever, ever do. Like, try to pretend for a minute that you don't know anything about the Bible and anything about the gospel and anything about God. Like, just try for a minute to check out of church mode and following Jesus mode. I know it's a weird thing to say. But like, just like live like naturally, like we are out in the world and somebody has done the absolute worst thing they could ever do and now they feel guilty. Like, what can I do to make up for it? Like, what do you really think we would say out there? Like, it's either going to be something like, there's nothing you can ever do, you're done for, right? It's too bad. You did the worst thing in the whole world. How are you going to make up for that? Or we're going to say, it was awful, and you owe so It's going to take the rest of your life to pay back. You've got to work so hard, and you've got to be so good, and you owe so much. Like, do you know how hard you're going to have to perform to convince God that you really are sorry? Do you know like, how, how, how much you're going to have to pay to make him feel like it would ever be worth it to even look at your face again? Like, isn't that what we should expect? <laughs> I mean... What shall we do? We crucified the Son of God. And Peter says, repent. <laughs> Admit you did it. And be sorry. And turn away from it and turn to God. And he's waiting for you right now. You killed his son and he's ready to forgive you and love you right now. Do you see the heart of God in this? And if that's the message to the people who literally on that day crucified Jesus, do you think there is anything in your life or anything in anyone else's life in the whole world that God won't forgive? That God won't say, here I am. I love you. I'm ready to forgive. My heart is to forgive and to restore and to reconcile. Will you repent? Will you call out? Will you turn back to me? Will you come to me? Right? There's nothing, there's nothing you can do that's worse than this. And there wasn't this super long, lifelong checklist of here's what you got to do to earn your way. About you was just repent. Repent today. We'll baptize you today. We're not going to wait 10 years to make sure this is genuine. Repent today and we will believe that God has worked in your heart today and we will let you be associated with his people today baptized in the name of Jesus, bearing the name of Jesus, becoming a witness of Jesus. He's ready to receive the people who crucified him today. I mean, do you understand how radical the restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness of God is in Jesus? Do you understand what he offers you? Do you understand what he's not holding over your head? What he's not condemning you for? what he's not angry with you about. He says, repent and come back to me. Let me forgive you. Let me wipe it all away in Jesus. And the way this stood out to me, if we can build on it even more, this was kind of the truth that I had written down for the day. Because, I mean, this is, that God is starting the church. Everything Everything in history, in one sense, has built toward this moment. God creates really quickly. Human beings mess the whole thing up. And then God starts, from Genesis 3 on, God starts making promises of how he's going to fix it all. 
right? And, and his Messiah has come, like all the promises he made culminate in Jesus, and Jesus is saying, now here's how I'm going, my, my work is going to spread to the whole world through my church. I'm going to build my church. Everything in history right here, and this is the church being born. This is the moment of the whole, the worldwide movement that God himself has started to redeem his world right here being born. Like, and, and I just, again, like try to check out on church mode and pretend you don't know the answers. Like, who would God pick to start that movement? Right? Really good people, really smart people, really powerful people, really influential, at least people who are bilingual, right? I mean, really? Like, you've got Jews from all over the world, and you can't even walk out and talk to them? How are you qualified to start the church? Well, you're not. You're not starting the church. God's going to pick people who aren't qualified, so when this thing starts, you'll know it's God and not you. But, but it's not just that. It's not that they aren't really impressive from worldly standards. Think about who he picks. Jesus promises to build his church, and then Jesus builds his church. And I mean like starts from scratch, day one. This thing doesn't exist. It's being born, come into existence. Here's who he picks. Jesus builds or starts his church with two groups of people. One, who's preaching to this crowd? Peter is like the, the spokesperson that we, when we get the sermon that's recorded, it's Peter. You know, obviously, earlier it said that all the apostles are speaking, and so you know, the crowd's probably big enough. If you've got 3,000 people who are responding in faith, you've got more than 3,000 there because some of them reject them, and it's big enough, no mics, anything like that, that it seems like you've probably got the apostles scattered throughout and speaking to these little segments. But all the apostles, he builds his church with, do that, the people who abandoned, deserted, and denied him. That's who the apostles are. Jesus gets arrested. Every one of them are scared to death, and they run off, and they leave him. And then when Peter and John sneak in close enough to at least be there when he's on trial, Peter says, I don't know him. I don't know him. I do not know him. And Jesus doesn't say, all right, so you all were here for phase one, and you failed utterly and miserably, and so I'm done with you. Now, I know you cannot build my church, clearly, and so I'm going to pick a new group. No, it's the very people who betrayed him, abandoned him, deserted him, left him in his darkest moment, and they're the ones declaring the truth of the gospel on day one when he pours out his spirit and builds his church. So he picks them, and then, when that group grows from 120 little believers praying in that upper room to over 3,000 people on the first day, when God does this supernatural work, who are the people that expand the church? The crowd who crucified Jesus. If you are starting a church, is that who you're starting with? You denied Jesus, you killed Jesus. Come be Jesus, church. Don't sit here and think that God can't use you and this church to turn the world upside down. Don't you dare think that it is not in his heart to use people like you and like me. Don't you think, well, it's got to be somebody else who's more whatever? Not with this kind of God. And don't you dare think, I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I've messed up too much. I'm too bad. I don't know enough. There's no, there's no way after that. There's a way. There's a way after all of that. You could have driven the nails through Jesus' wrists himself and he would have invited you to be part of his church on day one. That is the love of God for you in the gospel. That is the grace of God for you in Jesus. 
And that is why there is hope in the middle of a broken, messed up, fallen world filled with broken, messed up, fallen, sinful people. That's why there is hope that Jesus is still building his church and that Jesus will keep all of his promises and that Jesus will triumph. That his church will reach the ends of the earth because he's doing it. From day one, it has not depended on the people that he uses. It's dependent on the spirit that he sends to live in those people. And then notice, and I know we've said it a thousand different ways, but notice that when he pours out his spirit in that way, what do the people, like Peter and the apostles, what do they do? When the spirit of God comes on them, what do they start speaking? Peter's whole sermon, what is it? Repent, the mighty works of God, the word of God, right? When the people of God are filled with the spirit of God, they start speaking the word of God. He's declaring what God has done in Jesus, the truth, you know, and Jesus in John 1 is called the word. And over this Jesus, I tell you, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised this, God has made him Christ and Lord. And then also, if you look through that sermon again that we just read of Peter's, he keeps quoting the Bible. You know, the old, like, he, this is what God said. This is what God said. This is where the Spirit of God and the power of God are at work. This is why that I believe it is very, very worthwhile for us to get together week after week after week and say, yeah, we're going to read 47 verses out loud and we're not going to apologize for it. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. The Spirit of God comes and works in the hearts of the people of God through the Word of God. And this is why I'm asking you, like, pleading with you pastorally, would you day after day spend time in prayer and in the Word asking God to speak to your heart and work in you and fill you with His Spirit? Would you gather with small groups of people in your home, community groups, at work, with your family, even on this campus, other nights of the week, whenever it is, and just sit down and say, let's pray and ask the Spirit to do what the Spirit can do. And let's read the Word of God together and ask God to show us who He is. Like, would you take the risk of believing that that's how God will build His church? Not through all of our ideas and plans and programs and methods and effort and energy and whatever else. But that when people are praying for the Spirit of God to move and work and people are depending on Him in the Word of God, that that's when God brings about His church. That's when God builds up the people of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God. Day one when the church was born. That's what it looked like. That's what He's calling us to be. That's what He gives His Spirit for. We got a few more minutes, and I've talked. So, anything else that was really pressing on you, truths about God, things God's saying to your heart right now, maybe encouraging you, comforting you, challenging you, convicting you, anything else you want to add, and then I'll wrap us up and, and head into a couple more songs of worship as we respond. Through Jesus' Spirit. We are able to accomplish. I know you said so much more. I'm going to go to uh, Ephesians 3 right here and like raise the, raise the ante here. Through Jesus' Spirit, we are able to accomplish immeasurably more than we think we are. So Jesus is crucified at Passover. Right? It's 40 days after the resurrection before he ascends into heaven. Pentecost, which is what happens right here, is the feast that's going on right here, is 50 days after Passover. So you know, we've got that 10-day gap after Jesus goes up day 40, nine or 10-day gap before this. 
Do, how many of these people, the 120 that are up in that room, they're praying, they're waiting. Like Jesus is gone. He's told them to reach the ends of the earth. I mean, they were scared when he got arrested. You know, what's it like now when you're sitting there and he's not even here anymore and he's told you to do something that he's not here to help you do? How many of them do you think when they're praying, they're, he's promised the Spirit, so they're waiting, but how many of them do you think are thinking, hey, like if this is day nine out of the ten days of waiting, how many of you in day nine you think they're thinking, tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to preach to 15 different language groups and they're all going to understand us. And 3,000, like our, our little group of 120 is going to become 3,120 tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that had crossed their minds that this is a, what God was about to do. Like immeasurably more than all they could ask or imagine. Through the work of the Spirit. And so we can keep offering God what we can do. And it'll be what we can do. Or we can trust God to do the types of things that he promises to do. And we can say, I'd rather wait and pray in an upper room for the rest of my life for what you're going to do than keep offering you what's not your work. And we can see what he does by the power of his spirit, by the truth of his word, through his people as he builds his church. And I would encourage you that out of all the reasons, like you could just, like if, if you were trying to be practical, you could just say, well, clearly the Spirit does a lot better than we do. So we should do that and not this. And that's probably true, but that's not the main reason that I would encourage us to trust God and to ask Him to do it His way. The main reason is because this Jesus who was crucified for your sin, this Jesus who laid down his life out of love for you. This Jesus was raised to life by the power of God. And this Jesus promises to be your Lord and your King and your Savior if you will turn to him and call on him and repent. And he promises to build his church. Don't just do it because it's more efficient. Do it because Jesus is so much better. Jesus is so much better than anything else we could ever do or ever choose. Jesus is worth it. Do you know the love of God for you in Jesus? Oh, the type of king and savior who would say, give me the people who deserted me. Give me the people who denied me. Give me the people who crucified me. I want them. Make them my people. Let me use them. That's who is calling you to Him. That's who wants you. Because of who He is. Because of what His heart is. Because of how perfect His love and His grace is. See who Jesus is. Oh, I pray that you'll see who Jesus is and that because of who Jesus is, we will trust him to turn us into his church, that we will ask him and we will want him to do that. We will rely on him and we will follow him. And so will you pray that with me right now? And our worship team is going to come up and we're going to thank God and we're going to praise Jesus together for who he is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you keep your promises. Thank you that you make promises. And in our human minds, we think we would know what it means. And then you keep your promises in a way that's everything we would think and a thousand times more. I pray that right now we will be in awe 
Father, of who you are, of your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy, your willingness to receive the people who have sinned so awfully against you, who have hurt you, who have despised you, who have denied you, that you look on us and you don't reject us and you don't drive us away. You say, this is for you. However far off you are, come home. Father, let us hear that gospel and believe it. Change our hearts by it and build your church on it. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to really see you in Acts 2 today and see your work and your sufficiency and your power and to see that this really does all depend on you, that you are the one doing it and it will happen because you are doing it. And I pray we'd have great hope in that and great joy in that. Father, I feel a lot of conviction as I stand up here and teach that I know it's my job to say what's true. But I feel the the fear of just because I say it that it would somehow be me implying, hey, I get all this right and I do it. And so I confess right now that I do not do this the way that I want to. And I don't trust you the way that I want to. And I come to you with your church and your people and I ask you keep working in our hearts. Keep stirring up inside of us the type of faith that runs to you and relies on you and depends on you. That when we would say, hey, this is true. This is true because God has said it and God is doing it. And that we would tell everyone we know that, that we would be Jesus' witnesses. And we said, this is true for you. I believe it for you. And then, Father, I pray that we would turn around and believe it for ourselves. I pray that I would believe it for myself. And that we would live out the power of your truth and your grace as your people. Father, build your church by your Holy Spirit as only you can. We ask you to do it. How we trust you to do it because of Jesus and because you always keep your promises. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.